Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. What's up, guys? Hello, everybody. We're still alive, still here. We're still alive. If you felt like you went through a time warp, you did. As we did, too. We did, too. So we skipped our usual every other week because the beginning of the semester was very crazy and we didn't have much time to get together. But here we are now. Yeah. Anthony has discovered how busy is the beginning Mm -hmm. of the semester in a new position, right? Lots and lots of stuff. So, yeah. unfortunately, we're still digital. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll be in the the office soon. And then no more delays. No more. That's a promise. That's a promise. He put it in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So, we are coming back with a uh, an interesting one, I would say. Yeah. It's, uh, it's different, I think. We, I don't think we have done anything similar to this. No, I mean we've talked in the so we we always do kind of consciousness stuff, and in passing we've talked about animal stuff, but today is unique in that we're going to talk about that stuff explicitly in the context of a particular article that you showed me. Yeah, it's a it's an article that um, that I'm using uh, for teaching, um, and that I just you know stumble across, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, this seems to be something that's worth talking about. And again, we talk about consciousness before. We have analyzed text before, right? But never, I think, because the article is shorter, I think never so in-depth and, you know, so, you know, piece by piece. And also uh, the topic, as you said, it's like we're focusing on a specific aspect of consciousness and mind stuff. Yeah, so we're, to be short, <laughs> we're talking about octopi exactly and uh, and we are uh, analyzing this article by peter goffrey smith mm-hmm. that is called on being an octopus and which sounds crazy right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it sounds crazy and it is kind of crazy if you you know the moment we'll start talking about this uh you'll see why it um, is. And just quick quick background. Yeah. Basically, it's going to be a conversation about consciousness. And it kind of straddles the line between animal consciousness and human consciousness. And it's like by looking at one, we could maybe try to figure out stuff about the other or see what we can't figure out. And for those of you who aren't, I guess, um, familiar with the, the canon... It's because there was an article back in the 70s by Thomas Nagel called What Is It Like to Be a Bat? where he tries to talk about like the feeling aspect of consciousness. And so this is playing on that, but like times 10, because instead of talking to bats, we're talking about octopi. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think about yourself yeah. in a very different way. Yeah, and uh, the article actually starts with this, right? He, he, he recalls Nagel's. 1974 article 
And he, I can, I guess he pinpoints something very specific, if you want, right? He says, like, Nagel writes this for a reason. And the reason is the paradigm for that kind of study and for those kind of things was, and I I would say this still is, and maybe that's something that we can talk about already. It is still materialism, right? It is this idea that this view that anything that goes on in our universe and our minds being part of the universe as well uh, can be explained through physical processes. Mm-hmm. So Nagel is kind of saying, well, not exactly because there's a subjective component to what is it like to be something right that cannot be uh, explained away through through physical processes um, and therefore there's this, this, there might be for example bats that are uh, that can be not explained away the same way we do pretty much not not that you cannot explain how the brain of the bat works but it's like there's something like being a bat the experiences of being a bat that cannot be explained away right yeah and i think the key is because you know it's funny if you're especially if you're very scientifically oriented like we've had scientific minded students in philosophy club and in class in the past and there's always a skepticism right because there's this idea that well the scientific enterprise is very careful and is very objective and is is trying to falsify past theories and it's trying to figure things out and it's made a lot of progress and all all that's true at least within certain contexts so when you start saying things like oh there's some aspect of consciousness that maybe can't be handled by that thing you start thinking like oh so you guys are kind of like um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Weird. <laughs> like, this is like fringe, new-agey yeah, stuff. Yeah, you believe in supernatural things. Exactly. And it's not that at all. So, to start with the first thing you said, well, what's the best way to explain this? So, start. What? Yeah, Nagel is taking an issue with materialism, right? Yeah. And so, materialism is this idea that everything in the universe is ultimately material or physical through and through. But to make it this more palatable for those who would consider themselves materialists or are scientifically minded, I don't really think the issue is the material of material. Like, I don't think substance materialism is the stuff that's being challenged. I think it's, like, explanatory materialism or rather reductive material. So. What Nagel is picking up on, and what I think uh, Godfrey Smith and other philosophers, even Chalmers has mentioned this before, is like, you don't have to dispute the single substance monism. You could. You could be a dualist and be on board with this stuff, but you don't have to. All you have to take issue with is the claim that all phenomena can be reduced to a third-person material description. That's the thing that they're taking issue with. So what Nagel's beef is, is with this idea that, well, if we just explain brain processes or, or come up with analogies for how brains work, we can understand different aspects of our minds and other minds. And he's like, nope, that's not the same thing. And it, 
and he's I think it's pretty evident I think that with for Nagel right that he is he's taking the the mysterianism we can call it right kind of kind of side uh because he tells us again it's a quote from Nagel from the Coffrey article here right Nagel picks a bat because it's basically a fundamentally alien form of life he says right mm-hmm. uh and he's saying it is so different from us so difficult to understand that it's clear it's a mystery the way it works for us there's there's nothing that we can say with following this this patterns following the the, the the explanatory materialism which you're talking about right there's nothing that we can say that will clarify whatever is going on here right it's going to be a mystery because there's no way of explaining a first person perspective through a third person uh description then that's really the key i think even though um, even though Godfrey Smith kind of I don't know if he agrees 100% with Nagel on this. So I thought, so at the end, um, he kind of summarizes a point, which I think is important actually for the beginning of the conversation. Mm -hmm. There's this part where he says like, basically a material, so I'm going to explain it the way I would usually explain it to people is if you're trying to figure out what is what is it like to feel pain or what is it like to feel laughter or what is it like to feel the taste of something, I don't know, like a fajita, right? Like a blackened mm-hmm. chicken fajita. You can give a an extremely detailed description of all the underlying biological, chemical, physical processes happening that correlate with that feeling, mm-hmm. that maybe even cause that feeling, mm-hmm. but it's not the feeling. And so none of those descriptions actually get at the thing because there's this distinction between, as you said, like a third person point of view versus a first-person point of view. And so think the difference, you know, an analogy would be video games because, you know, people are familiar with that. In a third-person shooter, it's like the camera is back and you see the full body of your character. It's almost like you're you're God, like, looking over the thing or you're a camera. That's third-person. It's like you're the other. It's like watching a movie. It's like watching a movie. But then first-person shooters are like you are the person. And you see what they're seeing outside of their eyes. So you maybe just see your hands. And that's like movies like The Blair Witch Project or Cloverfield where like you are the camera. Mm-hmm. And to say that, like if you were to argue as the materialist would, according to Nagel and maybe, maybe uh, Godfrey Smith. Mm-hmm. Godfrey Smith, not Godfrey. I'm thinking of Gilbert Godfrey. R.I.P. I think he's dead. <laughs> um, if you conflate those two, you're you're engaging in like a category egg, uh, error. Yeah, you're you're confusing a cause for an effect. And so our point, I I agree. With you. There's my cards. I think you do too. Nagel's point, maybe Godfrey Smith's point is, there's a difference between looking at something from the outside 
and being that thing. And this is Nagel's point. Mm-hmm. What is it like to be a bat? Not what is it like to describe a bat from our perspective. Not what is it like to describe an octopus's brain. But what is it like to be the one sitting inside all that physical stuff, having those experiences? The subjective quality and the word they use is qualia. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, as you know, I do agree with you uh, for the most part. I think that where I stray from what you... Uh, actually, I don't know because I don't think we've talked about this. Um, I think that I agree more with this article um, on the point that he says at a certain point, like, look, if you're looking uh, at things, at explanations of things from a first-person pers- perspective, first-person accounts, there's no answer. We will never know. And this, I think, it's part of the Nagel's uh, actual um, point. We will never know what is it like to be a bat. We will never mm-hmm. know what is it like to be an octopus. So if we live it at that, then there is no solution to things, right? Mm-hmm. There is not even point. There's not even a point. The point here is, is there anything that we can do descriptively, right? Can we describe? Can we get a description? Can we, need, can we give a third-person account of what is happening that makes sense, that actually could elicit some real thoughts and some real understanding of what's going on? Of course, it's never going to be uh, that what is like, and I think this is the part where we arrive. The thing is, though, should we just stop Analyzing these things and studying them and looking at these things because there is no quote-unquote answer that we can get? Or should we try to give third-person accounts of first-person experiences somehow? Yeah, I think the the key word you said was some. Yeah. Like having some understanding because I think that the tone of this article is, how would I say, um... There's an element of elusivity, but also optimism. Yeah. Like, we can never actually know what it is like to be anything other than you, by definition. Yeah. Because the best thing you could have, even if we you were able to access something in an experience machine, this is like the example I always use, you would be able to know what it's like to be you being that person. So there's already a layer removed. It's like it's like being John Malkovich, yep. right? In being John Malkovich, uh, John Cusack's character is he's him being John Malkovich, not just being John Malkovich. So there's 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 already an element of you can never know, but there's maybe things we could think about to be like, hey, maybe it's kind of like this, maybe it's kind of like this, and it's really interesting um, to. The very first line of the article, I think, is a cool one, mm-hmm. which is, if octopuses... Oh, he used octopuses instead of octopi. I wonder yeah. if it's because that word's annoying. If octopuses did not exist, it would be necessary to invent them. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out what the consciousness of an octopus is. And the very first idea we have is, like, these things are so weird yep. that if if... Nature had it so that they weren't there. We would have to be super creative in coming up with these things because they're so bizarre. Exactly, and he goes through through this whole thing, and I 
And it's weird. It's true. They're weird, right? Think of the way they look, the way they move, the things that they do. Talk about alien. Yeah, exactly. And I and I think that's what he says like a few lines later. Uh, I think it's the third paragraph where he says, uh, certainly, uh, he's talking about bats, right? And he says, oh, yeah, they are different from us, but they're still mammals, right? They still mm-hmm. have a, cermosis, uh, uh, a nervous system that kind of reminds us, remind reminds of ours right uh octopi do, do not do that right actually we need to make a decision here is octopuses or octopi for the sake of this <sighs> okay if we're looking at his writing we'll play his game and say octopuses okay sounds i good think that'll me. be easy right, yeah because otherwise we're gonna get confused so yeah. he's saying like really really look alien right even their structure and he's saying like evolutionarily they are like very, very distant cousins, right? Mm-hmm, but they're mm-hmm. not as close as us as bats, right? So trying to answer what it's like to be an octopus is going to be, I think he, he's trying to say more interesting than what it's like to be a bat. Yeah, and I think just doing the little thought experiments yeah. uh, prove that. So to think about how different octopuses are... Um, yeah, I'm so used to saying octopi. <laughs> Think about how different octopuses are. Like, at least a bat is a mammal, mm-hmm. right? At least a bat we share a more common recent ancestor yeah. with, right? Ancestor yeah. with. But he talks about, like, the common ancestor with octopuses <laughs> is 600 million years ago. Exactly. It's which a is worm. not only It's a worm. It's a worm. <laughs> It's a small, simple, flat worm. So the last time us and octopuses were there together, being the same thing, it was some weird worm thing, which is, like, that's basically valueless, right? Exactly. That's so long ago. So basically, we were both alive together at the beginning of Tough, and then we diverged. And then we had a divorce, and yes. we, uh, we found ourselves, and we became very different people. <laughs> yep. Yep, pretty much. It's just crazy to think, right? That there are that. Well, first of all, it's crazy to me the fact that we are able to establish mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of this. Uh, the, the fact that we are cognates with them, you know, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. But yep. you know, yes, uh, we were similar to them back then, and now we have four limbs. They have eight. And the weird, so okay, what, what, why octop, why octopuses, right? You might be like, why does it, because they're, they seem really intelligent. They do. Right? They could do some pretty crazy things. I know in the past I've talked about these videos. So if you guys are listening and you Google, um, I, I don't know if the channel is called like, I don't remember, but basically they put octopuses, I hate saying that. Um, in, into a Just tank. Do, do what you, do okay, what you want. Okay, I'm going back to Octopi. Um, <laughs> it, they put them in weird scenarios where they have to solve a problem, like go through this thing, collect this object, bring it back here, and they do it. Or they put it in front of a mirror, and they're like, okay, they think it's a predator, and they puff up, but then they kind of hesitate. So they seem to be intelligent in a similar way to how monkeys slash you know, chimps would be yep. intelligent. And so you think, okay, maybe there's something there, right? Because you have some animals that are worth examining for this reason. So you got chimps slash uh, bonobos. You got uh, octopi. You have elephants. 
Um, you have dolphins, right? All these things have like some of them have complex emotional yeah. centers. So that that's kind of why we're looking there because they seem like, hey, you guys might have something cool going on. Yeah, and it's you know this question we always say is it's important. I mean, trying to figure out if, how similar these, these things are to us, it's super important for multiple reasons, right? Uh, first of all, by understanding them. We can understand ourselves a little bit more, maybe sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's also the normative stuff. You know, if they uh, if they have some form of consciousness, should we kill them and eat them? For example, like we do in the southern part of Italy. I don't. They're not not for ethical reasons. It's just don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that that is like kind of. Uh, some of the reasons why, aside from the pure philosophical aspect, because we want to know, right? Because we, we just want to understand things, uh, which is, to me, the, the, the biggest motivator, I want to say. Yeah, and, and the first weird thing to, this is an easy one, to notice about Octopi that he brings up. So, you know, they're suckers, yep. like the little suction cups on the tentacles. Yeah. They are tactile. They they touch things. They can feel things, but they, they also, also taste things. <laughs> exactly. They also so it's like if in our hands we had little thongs. Yeah, it's very very weird. So yeah, exactly. Imagine you had a tongue. Imagine all of your fingers had mouths on it, so that when you touched the desk or you touched your keyboard, you also tasted the keyboard. That's insane, isn't it? <laughs> That is super interesting. But that's I think that's part of the thing, right? It's part of the of the of the issue that they're so different and yet can we make some description of it that makes sense? Is it possible to fully understand, you know, we're already saying something here that I don't know if we can say. We're saying imagine having mm-hmm. little mouths with little tongues in them. In, on your fingers, and every time you touch something, you taste it as well, right? Now, if you're touching something, especially especially when we're talking about, we usually I don't think we do it normally, but since we're talking about it, if you touch something, like concentrate on the feeling that you have, like the mm-hmm. pressure on your fingers, and you know you're feeling a different temperature, uh, you're feeling some sort of smoothness, right? All those things, and think of what this feels like, right? Now, add to that, contemporary at the same time, the taste of this. That doesn't work. It's impossible, right? Because those are two separate channels, we can say, for us. And for them, it's a mix of them. They work together. It's like the, the best way we could try to do that is you have to be doing two things at once. Yep. It's like... You're, you have to have a pancake on your plate mm-hmm. and a pancake in your mouth. Yeah. I guess almost you could say maybe like eating a burger is get- almost close, but you only feel the bun. You don't feel the texture of like the meat and the cheese and stuff on the inside. You yeah. do feel – because I, I, I imagine someone's going to push back. We do feel texture in our mouths. But it's not the same. It's not the same. That's true. Like the way something feels on your tongue – is different from how it feels with your uh, uh, with and your it's, fingers. Yeah, and it's as simple as this. So, for example, if you and I don't suggest that you guys do it for a couple of reasons. One is hygiene reasons. The other one is just it's dangerous. <laughs> if you put like 
uh, a penny in your th- on your thong mm-hmm. and you put it on your hand, even the size of it will feel different. Everything that you put in your tongue is, feels bigger. Mm. While anything that you put on your hands feels smaller in the case of the penny, right? Mm. So it is, comp- it is different. While we can say that there's a similarity of feeling texture it, with our, in our mouth, I don't think it's the same thing as feeling with our, the, with our skin, if you want. Yeah, I wonder if it's like, even though it's still not totally accurate, it's better to say not to imagine a mouth on each one of your fingers... But imagine a finger in your mouth, and your mouth is open all the time. Yeah. And, like, touching it, right? That's, like, the better way. And, yeah, and also think that you're using this mouth to explore the world that's around you. So the babies do that at yeah. first, right? So that's, yeah. like, uh, Rosie is more out of it now. She still does it, but she still puts things in her mouth a little bit. Yeah. And that's how babies explored the world right to an extent with the the oral phase but this the fact that the 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 touch and the taste are intermingled already tells you they have a a, something that's a bit more complex than us Mm -hmm. because we don't have a taste model that big we have a a pretty big taste model we have a much bigger tactile model but we definitely don't have a tactile model Sorry, a taste model that's as big as our tactile model because there's a lot of things we touch that we would never lick. Hmm. Some quick examples, like, you know, you don't typically uh, lick a tree bark, although you could. If I'm making, like I was telling you, I'm making radiator covers. I don't usually lick wood or metal. Um, I don't usually, like when I walk on the grass, I'm not licking the dirt and the grass and the bugs um, <laughs> Definitely and, not and, that. And you could you could kind of imagine like you could you could taste these things, but I'm sure there's things that we can't think of right now that you've never tasted that you that you don't really have any uh, analog to. I guess. So it's it's funny that you so two things that, that you said caught my you know piqued my interest here. One of them is saying that you're saying that, and I agree with you that their their taste. It's much bigger than ours, right? It's it expo- it's it's related to more things than ours. Uh, but the other thing, the thing that really really caught my attention was the fact that you're saying that their uh, their way of exploring the world, if you want, the way they get in contact with the world, uh, is more complex than ours. They're in some sense because I I would not like, in all argue, senses. I would argue that if anything. It's simpler because they're combining two things into one, right? Where we have two two separate mm-hmm. sensor, if you want, they're specialized. Well, they have one sensor that has both things in it. So it seems okay. simpler, right? Yeah. So the more the more accurate way to say it is like, think about it if you have five piles of coins with a, with four quarters in each versus maybe you have one, two, three, I don't know, three piles of coins and two of them have like eight piles in it and the other one has four. It's like, well, which one's more complex? So I guess it's like we have, to be uncontroversial, let's say five 
um, senses. Senses, yeah. Let's say, yeah, sensors that all work in a specific way, and mm-hmm. maybe the octopus has like three. Let's say, tactile, taste, sight. It does have sight. It didn't mention anything about smell. I don't remember seeing, and I, I didn't know. see anything about sound. But let's assume they have three. So the more accurate version of what I'm saying is we ha- are more complex that we have more types of sensors. And yeah. They have one avenue of complexity, which is one of them is bigger than at- our one. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And, it's, uh, and I think it's so interesting, right? The fact that things that we usually experience as separated can be put together. Can, and, and again, you can really see like, what, is, what does that really mean? And we're having trouble, uh, some trouble already understanding it. We're having some trouble just figuring out how this thing actually works. And I think things get even more interesting when we start talking about things like, uh, which is what he talks about after. He talks about the fact that we have that our point of view, right? The way we experience the world might be a mm-hmm. little bit different than theirs. Um, even though I think that for us, this thing that I'm about to say, it's even more complex and complicated to do from the perspective of a, a, an octopus. Um, we have a central brain, right? We have a central thing that some people call a self right Mm -hmm. that is in charge of everything else we feel right Uh, this is i am deciding to move my hand right i am deciding to speak these words i am doing this i am doing that yes there are certain things that are out of our control if you want right Um, i don't decide that my heart has to be not consciously right i don't decide uh, how to operate you know my my blood circulates in my in my veins and arteries right i don't decide this i do not control digestion directly but it's still actually our brain that does that right our brain if our brain decides it shuts off completely certain certain functions right if something is going wrong with my brain then i I can my brain could decide not to send the impulse to my to my stomach to do whatever it has to do but we have the central uh, brain. We had the central, the centralized. Uh, how can we say the central system? Well, apparently, octopuses do not. Yeah, this was this blew my mind. Right. When I was reading this, because for us, most of our nervous system is in our brains, right, and. Everything we have hooks up to our brains. Yep. So think of it like a house with central air. Yep. You have all the vents in each room, but the vents connect back to that big clunky thing that you have outside of your house that takes in the air and circulates it, right? And does all the stuff to it. So you might say all the vents are part of the system. But they're one thing. Yeah. Now think of other houses like my house uh, and a lot of older houses and a lot of less fancy houses, I guess you could say, that don't have central air. What do you do? You put window units in. You yeah. put an air conditioner in each window. 
mm-hmm. and they each have their own independent controls. And it's not like I can control the one in my bedroom by controlling the one in my living room. They're totally different. They're not connected to one another. Mm-hmm. And apparently, a lot of the octopus's body is like that. Yeah. So not all of their nervous system is hooked back up to their brain. At least not fully. At least not fully. Some of it is. It says it goes through a narrow channel, which means that's not everything. Yeah. Which means there's some aspects of an octopus that's not one thing. Exactly. But that's exactly. multiple things. Exactly. So it's not like you have that self, to go back to what you said and, and what uh, Godfrey Smith says, where you're like, this is my arm, my finger, my brain controlling my eyes and my toes and whatever. It, there's, there's like a community, I don't want to say of selves, but of like distinct things in a way. It's like their mind is kind of a society, right? Yeah, which is very bizarre. And I, I find, like, you know, fascinating. So when he describes, like, the three main parts of the, an octopus nervous system, right? Is there's a brain, like the central brain, kind of the way we have it in their head, right? And there's the optic lobes that seem to be also their own thing, right? But connected directly to the brain. And then there are the arms. And as you're saying, they're independent, kind of almost independent. But the thing that partially I was like, what? Is that the most neurons are actually in the arms, Yes. And like, not in the brain, in the arms? How does that work? And again, the arms are almost independent from it. I mean, again, this completely takes away any sort of similarities that you can draw between the way we... Again, now we're trying to figure out how can an octopus be like me? (laughs) Well, first of all, there's no such thing as an octopus that could be like you. Yeah. Because there's you and there is an octopus that has, well, eight tentacles, so eight arms, plus one brain. So there's like at least nine entities somewhat in there. It's like a multiple personality disorder octopus. It's a multiple personality octopus, yeah, and they're all happening at once. Yes, and there is a a slight connection between them. And there's there's kind of not a main one. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So the there's the fact that there's no central self, if you want, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. What, what, so, oh man, I just thought it, we'd have to rephrase the question because there's almost like not a what is it like to be an octopus. It's like, yeah. what are they like to be octopus parts? Exactly. Yeah. Ex- and, uh, but again. Once more, how interesting is this? And what can we learn something from it? You know, I was mentioning multiple personality disorders, right? Mm. Can we kind of draw metaphorically? Can we try to understand those issues, right? Through that. Understanding, Mm. yes, there's a loose connection between a central one and then the other things, but those things are independent. Uh, And again, I don't know. I'm I'm just making... Uh, a silly example there, but they, there might be ways in which we understand our stuff as well. That's yeah, I have all all these all these different questions. So the the first interesting thing is, so uh, for listeners, it's like you know how you have your body or you are your body, 
but you usually think of yourself as that thing behind your eyes. Yep. You're like, well, I'm in my head, yep. and then these other things are part of me, but they're like further, literally and figurative from me. Yep. Apparently, for the octopus, it wouldn't be that, because since two-thirds of the, the nervous system is in the arms, it'd be like if, if instead of you being behind your eyes and your head, you were in your arms, and everything else was like less you. So yep. imagine your head not being the most you, which is super alien. Yeah, it's mind-blowing, right? It's mind-blowing. I suppose the one comparison here would be like, uh, like Helen Keller, mm. right? Because for Helen Keller, she couldn't see and she couldn't hear, which means she had taste, smell, mm-hmm. and touch. So presumably more of herself to some extent would yep. be in those things. But that's even tricky because if I wonder if you don't have sight or ears, do you still feel mostly – she had ears, sorry, hearing um, – if you still feel mostly in your head just in a different way? Yeah, I do wonder that. Well, because if you got hit in the head, I'm sure that would like rock you in a way that it wouldn't if you got hit in the arms. But presumably for the octopus, it wouldn't be like that. It'd nope. be like getting hit in the arms would be worse. Yeah, it seems like it because there's most again the most neurons are there, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I I think that as much as we try to do this. It's super hard because, again, it's literally saying, like, think, as you're saying, if you if you identify more as your arms than your head. You know, as, as human beings, we have the tendency of thinking that our head is what makes us us. Yeah, and this, so the other question I was going to ask is... It talked about how... There's this we so normally, since we have a centralized self, we have, at least in a colloquial sense, because um, obviously we get into a whole bunch of stuff about that. There's a pretty clear distinction between self and and not self. Like you know, like this is me, and then the desk is not me. So. You, you could tell the difference between, like, something that feels internally animated and something that's just, like, an object. Yes. Something that's, like, a foreign object. But this was kind of saying that distinction is not as clear. Correct. Because if there's no central connection, then, like, your arm, for example would a little bit feel less like it's yours and like like the desk. It would feel a little bit more like an external object, yeah. which is very strange. It's almost like, imagine touching someone else's hand. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting because what the article is suggesting is, uh, well, what he actually says is like that the arms are, in a, from a certain perspective, they seems to be part of the environment more than being part of the being, right? So the idea is that those arms, I think that the, that even a probably better analogy is those arms 
feel like other entities doing things for you, in a sense. Right, right. So it would be like having minions that do your bidding, right? Mm-hmm. And report back to you, literally. At least yeah. partially. It seems to be that there is like some... And, you know, and he talks to, the article talks about a specific experiment where they figured out that when there is this problem solving going on, kind of the central brain takes over for a moment and, and it sends the arms where they're supposed to go. But then once they get there, the arms do whatever they have to do, whatever they, they whatever they think they should do together by themselves. Um, so, and the analogy that that the the, the Goffer Smith actually proposes that the arms kind of work like like blinking or breathing works for us it's part of independent right they, we mm-hmm, don't control mm-hmm. our blinking or our breathing unless we really make an effort to to do so so there is this kind of mixed he calls it a mixed control option right the, the the control is you know depending depending on the situation one thing takes control or the other which is super interesting because it seems that seems like unless the octopus makes an effort it really is Again, nine entities in one. But then when he needs to, he's able to, to kind of control them. Again, like minions, I guess, again. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, again, how, well, first of all, how possible it is for us for truly imagining this. And more importantly, how, uh, how can we use this notions, this understanding for something more than just, again, being amazed by it right yeah there's there's so many things i'm wondering like one is it seems like if you like if we had an octopus in front of us in the water and we touched one of its arms it seems like it would grab us very instantly right because it's it's mostly uh autonomic i guess would you call it uh but i'm wondering if i touched its head because if you touched my head, I would like automatically uh, go to swat it, you know, if uh-huh. a bug or someone grabs me or something. But I wonder if in an octopus, it's, if it's not that quick. Because since there's a disconnect or less of a connection between the head and arm, it wouldn't like instantly know that there was a predator there that had to be dealt with. So that's one thing I'm wondering. Um, and I'm wondering if evolutionarily it must have been more advantageous for yep. those, and I guess that makes sense because the arms make up a larger portion, right, of its body. Um, but another thing I'm, I'm wondering is the thing you said about minions, because I was thinking about that. Um, at one point in the article, he says, even when the octopus can control one of its te- uh, tentacles, it kind of has like partial control over it. it it's like it controls it almost like a stump. Like, if it has to get into a tight space, you just kind of, like, bloop, flop it into the space. And then, and then the arm takes out a mind of its own and do, does its really specific stuff. Yeah. Which is... So, so imagine you had a hand where you didn't really control your fingers much, but you controlled your wrist and maybe even your palm. And you wanted to explore what was in a drawer. You'd have to, like, flop your hand down... And then imagine watching your fingers yep. as a semi-foreign entity yep. doing their own thing. 
That's bizarre. Um, very. If that existed in us, there would be a new phobia. There'd be a brand new phobia. Um, there would be a lot more, like, uh, I don't know, like just not. There'd be a lot more control issues. I guess we would have. Absolutely. Wonder how that because that, that, that seems to elicit a disgust factor in me pretty heavily. Um, also, but I'm also what. Can, what are you gonna say? Can they rebel against the, the head? Oh, that's like in uh in Evil Dead Two, where Ash his hand gets possessed, <laughs> and his hand starts like walk, and he has to like hold his hand and it's trying to grab him, and then he eventually <laughs> chops it off. Yeah, I wonder if it's like that. That's funny. But the the minion thing, I was I was trying to come up with analogies too, and that's good. I almost thought of it like if you had to get some work done in your house, and so let's say we hired. Um, a rep- like some guy to fix my boiler. We b- we can blip, talk the guy into coming in the house, and then we set him free, and he works on my boiler, but he's distinct from me, and yeah. he reports back to me. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, how much of of it is like that too? Yeah, it's like it's a very weird relationship this between the 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 tentacles and the and the central. Uh, octopus and it, it didn't say anything about this but i also wondered if each limb was aware of the other limbs because presumably it's reasonable to believe that the arms are somewhat centrally connected more so than they are to the head but i suppose that's also maybe not the case i don't again i don't know because it seems to me that well i don't know I don't know. It, does, it doesn't mention this, but I think that aside from the general loose central control, very little central control that there is, they mm-hmm. must be independent. Because I'm wondering, like, if you put a predator, mm-hmm. something really small, and one tentacle grabbed it and neutralized the threat, would the other ones stop? And is the reason they would stop? be because they received a signal like, oh, we got it? Or would it be like, my independent tongue no longer tastes that chemical? Hmm. I mean, each... So even if it's not centralized, presumably each tentacle is aware that there are other tentacles, even if they're not connected, right? I, I, was, I was thinking of them as a pack. Like, what if, it, what if one touched another, you know? Because we know what it's like to yeah, yeah, touch yeah. your hand. No, I'm, I'm wondering, can we think of them as a pack of wolves, right? Where they're all aware mm. of each other, they bump into each other, they know their space, they know what they're going to do. But then if they are hunting, they hunt together. If they're going to defend themselves, they defend themselves together. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's probably a good analogy, the pack of wolves. Because that, that's a big difference, though, because Husserl, so to, to get into... So this would be like analytic philosophy of mine, for those of you guys listening, which is maybe the more popular one i guess in the united states although i feel like the continental stuff is becoming bigger um but then the continental philosophy of mine would be the phenomenological stuff which is the stuff i'm more Mm -hmm. trained in i guess you could say although i like both clearly but in ideas two i think it is husserl talks about how there's this weird double sensing thing that happens uh, with touch because it's like, what, what if when the touching tool touches the touching tool? 
Mm-hmm. So it's like the it's like the the Ouroboros, like the snake eating its own tail. It's like at once when you touch your hand, you f- you feel yourself from the outside, yeah. but also from the inside because you feel your other hand touching the hand, mm-hmm. and then you feel that the hand touching the other. You know what I'm saying? Like it's two sensations happening at once, and I wonder if the octopus then doesn't have that if it's just like a pack of wolves. Uh, that's that will be my first um, okay the, my, my first instinct will be like my instinct will be like okay yes it's more like a pack of wolf right but then there is also the, the fact that they're connected through their you know there are also little thongs there right so that makes mm-hmm. it even more weird like what are they kissing each other when they're touching each other? I don't know how does that. <laughs> Not only kissing, but tasting. <laughs> exactly. What? The, yeah. How does that work? Right. It's a. Uh, oh, because then that adds, and then they might even have a, an extra perverted thing, which is not just the the feeler feeling and feeling the feeling or feeling the feeler. It's the tongue tasting and tasting the taster. So it's exactly. like, what does your tongue taste like? Exactly. Oh, that's that's I don't even know what that is. <laughs> exactly, uh, is it? So, still on the same so on the same point, kind of. So this this divorce that there is between between this. So now I'm thinking. So the taste, the sensation of taste, and the sensation of touch. Is separated for the most part, from the central brain. Mm-hmm. So does it even report? Is the, is the octopus, what we can call the central octopus, let's call it, right? Is yeah. it aware of the taste of things? Is it aware of the way things feel yeah. at the touch? Or is it just like... Um... <laughs> like the the president of a company or a university where they have like limited information and there's a delay versus yeah. you know the the actual you know the dean or the teacher or this you know something like that and uh and how are these things also connected with the other sense that seems to be present there which is vision which seems to be instead more central Right, yeah. because because we, when looking at my microphone here, right, when I look at it and I touch it, I don't need to make the connection between these two sensations coming from the same thing, because my central brain does it. Right, if those things are separated in the octopus, how does it reconciliate kind of the existence of the object in front of it? Right. How does that work? Are there such things as objects for hmm. an octopus? Or is it multiple things, right? Like, is each sense its own uh, variable and there's no hole underlying the variables? And I'm not, and I'm not saying this just in the sense uh, of what Nagel, for example, will say, right? Because for Nagel is saying, well, the bat is different from us because amongst other things you use sonar right so he kind of creates object made out of through 
through a different sense, right? It builds a reality that looks bizarrely different than ours. But it seems to be in that case, and I think that's part of what he's suggesting here, uh, what Goffer Smith is suggesting here, is since it's still, a, how can we call it, a unitary kind of reality. Yes, yes. While here, there is a good chance that there's no such thing. That first of all, some things are combined together, taste and touch, while some other things are completely divorced, like the existence of objects, of tactile taste objects versus visual objects. They might be two different things. And this is assuming, of course, that animals in general have this, this, the ability to create objects, quote-unquote, in their mind. And similarly, um, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about Husserl now because these questions results in phenomenological questions. So one of the things that, that he talks about also in Ideas 2 is this idea of uh, object constitution. Like how does the object become what it is? And the object becomes what it is when it is perceived through a schemata of senses mm-hmm. um, under optimal or normal conditions over time. So since objects are constituted like that for us, we have all these funny, almost like synesthetic things that happen to us, yeah. even in normal perception. And the example that, I don't know if he uses this or uh, my uh, old professor, Lenai Rodemeyer, just made it up. It's, um, it's that you can, through one sense, almost detect another sense. So when you look at a puddle on the floor, you could be like, oh, it looks wet. Mm-hmm. Which kind of is like, what? Wet is a tactile thing. But since there's a schemata of interwoven mm-hmm. things, you can almost see what a textural feeling would be like. Or the one I used in a paper I wrote was when I'm having a cappuccino, it's almost like you could see the, f- the bubbly froth, like yeah. see the way it would feel on your tongue. And I wonder if the, let's say, mode of object constitution is distinct for the octopus, um, then if, as a result of that, it couldn't have those overlapping, um, almost synesthetic sensory schemata things. Like, there would be no... The eyes wouldn't be like, oh, that looks like it tastes like this. That looks spicy. If it's totally divorced, like you're saying. And if that's the case, that paints a completely different picture of reality because there may not be at least as many unitary objects, like you're saying which means there's just sets of properties, which means reality is much, in a way, bigger. It's like interacting with atoms versus molecules. And the only way a human could like, possibly relate to that is, is in this negative sense by means of like, phenomenological description. Plus, if, I think like psychedelic experiences might help here because you know, when people talk about taking mushrooms or LSD, it you know, changes the, the way you interact with objects. It's like, oh, the, here's an object and here's an object. But really are those different things, you know? 
And I, I think this would be like kind of an interesting project to, t- to take on. Absolutely. But, but I'm wondering if we can continue this kind of stuff um, in the next episode because it, it's interesting how like a small set of facts can result in this infinitude of questions and, and contingencies on contingencies and stuff. Yeah, and it's ultimately a small, relatively small variation uh, in the way we are, in the way beings are organized, right? Mm-hmm. Can change completely. And now ultimately, a small being like an octopus, how complex can he be and how interesting can he be, right? Literally and figuratively. All right, so we'll see you guys for next time. Yep, see you next time. Bye. All right, see ya. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade.